Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Turbulence. I am your host, Jack White, alongside my partner in crime, George of the Jungle Shalloway. And I think, you know, I, it's hard not to address this at the opening of the show, George, but I don't know about you. I've had this Ohio State game marked on my calendar for months now. And once again, COVID, not on their watch. Well, I haven't had it on my calendar for months. I've had it on my calendar for years. I was marking this one to know when we were going to get the Buckeyes back in Maryland Stadium in the shell. And unfortunately, we're going to have to wait another two years to get our revenge from that infamous game in 2018 when Anthony McFarland had himself a day and Terrell Pigrome had one of his best starts at quarterback and the defense played well and Jay Sean Jones had a good day and uh, it's too bad. I'm sure that not only us fans are disappointed. I really feel for the players who were playing with a lot of heart, great momentum after two big wins. And I'm sure they want to be able to test their skills against some of the best competition in the big 10 and the big 10 East in particular. Absolutely. I mean, Talia, you know, against Penn State, he went out there, he threw for 286 yards, nothing flashy, but, you know, he did a nice job in maintaining the game. Great signal caller he is, doing a nice job. His guys are always behind him. Really does a nice job in communicating with Loxley for a young sophomore. Um, only his third start in the black and gold. Um, and I know he, along with others, were really hyped for this one coming on Saturday. But as you said, George, we're just going to have to wait another two years um, to see what the Terps will look like. Who knows what they'll even look like in two years. Uh, I highly doubt you'll see Justin Fields in two years. Um, I agree with that. I'm sure he will be off uh, doing his thing in the NFL. So it's going to definitely be interesting to see where both clubs are at in the next two years. But for now, I know Ohio State is 3-0. and they are off, obviously, this Saturday, and Maryland is off. And, you know, it's probably important to mention to all of you, the reason this game has been canceled is because eight Maryland players were tested positive for COVID. And the NCAA and the Big Ten decided not to reschedule the game. So, therefore, on that note, Maryland's next opponent will be against the Michigan State Spartans on November 21st, a week from this coming Saturday. No time has yet been announced. However, the Spartans are due up for the Terps. And this Saturday, the Spartans are home against the Indiana Hoosiers. Now, George, I, I was talking with you. Indiana is probably one of the better teams in all the Big Ten this year. I agree with you that Indiana looks like one of the better teams in the Big Ten East. But I'm not fully ready to get on board their bandwagon just quite yet. Here's why. Maryland also beat a Penn State team that Indiana beat. Yes, Indiana beat Penn State when Penn State was ranked. But Indiana got them home. We beat them in Beaver Stadium. We didn't have to go to overtime. We beat them pretty handedly. So there's that. Additionally, last week they beat a Michigan team who's looking down we haven't yet played Michigan so we don't know how that one's going to happen when we play them up in the big house but Michigan has some worries I don't know what the future is for coach Harbaugh's team up there but one can only imagine that when they travel down to the horseshoe they're probably not going to win and he will continue his winless record against 
you know, Ohio State, and he lost Indiana, and he lost to um, to Indiana, and he's going to probably lose to Ohio State. Right there's at least two losses. Maryland might be able to knock off a third loss, and I'm pretty sure that the Michigan fan base does not want to see Coach Harbaugh struggle that much against the Big Ten East. It's not his first year. It's not his, you know, because like Locks likes to say, this is, you know, year 0.5, year one, year zero, whatever. Harbaugh's brought in his guys. He's kept the same coordinators around for the most part. It's his team up there, and they're not performing so well. So Indiana is definitely in the upper echelon of the Big Ten East. They're number 10 in the AP polls. I don't know if that's completely accurate. I don't know if they're that good. They've looked productive. They've looked like a good team. I just I just don't know if they're number 10 in the nation. That's very high. I don't think Indiana's been ranked that high in, in decades. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do against a Michigan State team who beat Michigan too. So Michigan State beat Michigan. Indiana beat Michigan. Let's see who the winner of uh, Michigan State, Indiana is. It's going to be a good one on Saturday. I completely agree with you. And it's going to be interesting, George. Like, I want to get your take on this, too. And, you know, I got a few things here and there to say about this as well. You know, Maryland's 2-1. and one. They, they lost their one loss, surprisingly, is to a 3-0 and Northwestern Wildcat football team right now. Um, that program is excelling um, amongst COVID and doing a very nice job. Um, and their two wins – a lot of people, you know, I've heard, you know, around the media, it, that was a soft win for Maryland against Penn State. Penn State isn't what they were. Their quarterbacks probably subpar. Defense is very weak. Um, and then that Minnesota win, absolute offensive shootout. But it's funny. I mean, most people are kind of disregarding the offense and kind of badgering the defensive weaknesses up front. I mean, you got some really talented guys on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Chase Campbell being really, I mean, from my perspective, the team captain leading the team in tackles, excuse me, leading the team in tackles and in sacks. He's done a heck of a job this season in doing a uh, nice job in that middle linebacker position. However, you know, in the last two weeks, the Terps have combined for over 80 points and over 1,000 yards of total offense. And they've also averaged 27.7 points per game in their wins against the Gophers and the Nittany Lions. However, George, they're basically doing the equivalent to that on defense to other teams. They're letting their opponents get that much or if not more. So I want your take because, you know, according to Coach Loxley, you know, on media day earlier this week, he said, you know, as we form our habits, it starts to form who we are becoming as a team. But he is very guarded against feeling, though, they are a program that has arrived because we haven't and we're not that program just yet. So I kind of want your take on uh, what you think that makes from Loxley and where the improvement lies on the defensive side for Maryland to be a true threat within the Big Ten. Well, it comes with Loxley's expression and motto that he always likes to use the best is ahead this is a very young team Rakeem Jarrett had a great day on Saturday he had five receptions for 144 yards he didn't win Big Ten player of the week he won Big Ten freshman of the week because he's a freshman he's a five-star there was a lot of hype around him the next DJ Moore the next Stephon Diggs 
He was the first Maryland freshman to have two touchdowns in over 100 yards since Stephon Diggs. So he's in great company, and I would love to see him reach that point. I'd love to see him be higher than a fifth-round pick like Stephon Diggs, maybe a first-round a first rounder like um, DJ Moore was. But other than Rakeem Jarrett, this team is still very – Talia had his third career start this week against Penn State. He's got so much to learn. It's a new – it was a new team that he had to come into. He was only here since the end of May. Look at our running back room. Now we've finally started to see Isaiah Jacobs and Penny Boone getting some more meaningful carries against Penn State. They're both true freshmen. Ruben Hippolyte got two sacks against Penn State. He's a true freshman. A lot of our playmakers are young guys. And again, we have a top 25 recruiting class coming in next year. So Lox is building the program. It's not going to happen overnight. A lot of people, me included, if you told me that we would have been two and one through the first three weeks and the only loss would have been against Northwestern, I would have said that you're crazy. So the team is finally starting to, to believe they're having playing with confidence. They're playing with passion and they're not giving up. They're fighting through it. A lot of teams would have, after last year's disappointing finish, finishing three and nine and getting embarrassed on the road in Evanston might've, I don't want to say lay an egg against Minnesota, but might not have come out as fast and firing as they did. They didn't give up. They were down, you know, 17 in the fourth and came back and won that game. And in Penn State, they came out to a 21 to nothing lead. So this team plays hard. They play smart. They didn't have that many dumb penalties against Penn State, which is something very important for such a young team. Well, the one thing I've definitely noticed this year so far, they're not playing down or up to their opponent. I agree. They're, they're doing a very nice job. And, um, and another thing Loxley preaches to his players is consistency. He's looking for that week in and week out. And I think Maryland has been consistent. And obviously, one can rebuttal and throw the argument in my face that, you know, what happened week one then? What, 43 to three? How did, how did that happen? So, but other than that, you're absolutely right, George. They came out screaming against Penn State. There was no quit. No sorry, no, no athlete, no player for the Terps was feeling sorry for themselves on the sidelines, on the field, while being down by 17 in the fourth quarter. There are NFL teams that feel that way and do that and players that do that. The bottom line is, though, I think Loxley definitely has this team trending in the right direction. I'm actually staring at the numbers right now. They've given up over 740 passing yards, 680 rushing yards, and have allowed more than 1,400 total yards on defense against Northwestern, Minnesota, and Penn State. But leading tackler, as I mentioned, Chase Campbell, he thinks the defense is headed in an upward direction. You know, he was quoted, I think we've made a lot of improvements. The last five quarters of ball that we've played have been really good. And I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. That was the fourth quarter against Minnesota, which, correct me if I'm – wrong George they didn't allow more than a touchdown um, in that quarter and then came Penn State and I don't need to break that down if you're allowing less than 20 points a game and your offense is putting up that kind of um, those kind of numbers 35 plus that that's that's that that will get the job done 
Well, it's not just that. You have to look at also the fact that Maryland didn't commit any turnovers and forced Penn State into three turnovers. And that was the first time Maryland got any turnovers all season was against Penn State. Not to mention we could finally get to the quarterback. So when you get to the quarterback, you get him to seven or eight sacks. You have him commit three uh, turnovers. That's a recipe for success for any defense. A, A Maryland defense that was struggling for the most part through the first two games of the season played very well against Penn state. And I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised that they were able to do so. And it started really with that first, that first drive of Penn state, they got down into the red zone. It was a fourth and goal coach Franklin chose not to go for the three points and Maryland's defense stood. They, they, they got a stop and Maryland went down the field again. So one can argue that the defense is also help contributing to the offense. When the defense are playing well, now the offense are like, hey, we could do this too. Let's go, guys. And they were doing that. And not to mention special teams had a fantastic game against Penn State too. Anthony Pegarella had two punts, one on the one and one on the two. You I mean, can't do much better you, than you that. You can't do any better than that. And, you know, the old saying, the, the best offense is a good defense. So, And, you know, Maryland definitely lived up to that expectation on Saturday. However, you know, before we dive a little more into turf football and what could have come this Saturday against Ohio State, George, I want to get to Terrapin Trivia and ask you a question here, my friend. So since the Terps made their Big Ten football debut in 2014, they have won against nine opponents in the Big Ten. Name the four that they have yet to beat now in their sixth season as a Big Ten school. Okay. Can I do it right now? I, you know what? Heck, if you, if you feel confident, if you feel good, let's go nuts. I do feel confident. All right. We have not beaten Ohio State. That is correct. That's number one. We have not beaten Wisconsin. That is correct. We have not beaten Northwestern. That is correct. And we have not beaten Iowa. That is false. We have beat Iowa. Okay, let me think the last Iowa. one. We beat Iowa in 2014, actually. Okay. First year in the Big Ten. You know what? I'm going to think about the last one and I'll come back to me at the end of the show then. All right. I'll I got back. three right now. You got three out of four. You got 75%. I'll get back to you later in the show. All right. So, you know, this week, Saturday, was supposed to be OSU week. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we've – We've mentioned as because of the various COVID diagnosis um, for uh, Terrapin uh, football players, there will be no game this week. But George, I mean, let's flip the sides of the coin here. You know, it would have been pretty fun to see Justin Fields in that offense. I mean, a top five offense in the nation. I mean, that team, that team puts up over 500 yards a game. I mean, in your opinion, George, it's not happening. It won't happen for another two years. And I referenced the teams will be much different by then. What do you think the Terps defense would have had to do to just shut him down and at least keep it competitive? Defense, no one can really shut down Justin Fields, but you can limit him. And the way to limit Justin Fields is you got to get some pressure on the quarterback, which is difficult against a very good offensive line of Ohio State. You got to make sure that he doesn't have all day in the pocket to allow the receivers to come back to the ball on a broken play. 
Sure, that's, yeah. that's hard. But the one thing that Ohio State hasn't done extremely well this year has been running the ball. Master Teague's been pretty good, but he hasn't been nearly as efficient as J.K. Dobbins was last year. I was about to say, they don't have J.K. all day, who was running all over everybody last year. Correct. So I'm not saying Ohio State's more one-dimensional, but if you can force J.K. not J.K. Dobbins, if you can force <laughs> Justin Fields to to similarly how we were with, with Sean Clifford, we made Justin Fields Justin rely on him if he can't run the ball with Master T, if he can't scramble outside the pocket because we have a good quarterback spy and you force him to make the throws and have our defensive backs who played a pretty good game I would say against Penn State you know I think that would make it a competitive game because our offense can score and Ohio State's defensive backs are probably the weakest link of their team I mean yeah I mean George you I mean you mentioned offense I mean the one player we have yet to even just mention. saying something because they're still you there you, you cut out sorry folks just having a little zoom technical difficulties there but we're good to go um but yeah it's funny you mentioned offense because one of the players we have even yet to mention is talia tagavalea who this year has absolutely lit up the stat sheet uh, took him a little bit. It took the whole team um, that first week against uh, Northwestern to shake off the cobwebs, but he's thrown for 770 yards in six passing touchdowns with over a 65 completion percentage. Um, and not to mention the young signal caller is uh, averaging 18.7 yards per carry and has rushed for two touchdowns. So it definitely adds a different element to your offense and to your team and a lot more flexibility when you have a quarterback like that. And, you know, we saw that we, we, George, you and I have really kind of grown up to that sort of college quarterback. Uh, We saw that out of RG three. We saw that out of Russell Wilson. We've seen that in Kyler Murray. We've seen that in Lamar Jackson. I mean, we've seen those kind of quarterbacks and would you say George just kind of off the cuff that, that's the more successful style of quarterback play in college. Uh, it's tough. There, there's still some really good, you know, pocket passers that that have done some really good things uh, in college recently. Now, I'd say definitely for Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks, this scrambler has seemed to to be doing pretty, pretty well. I mean, you can look at Baker Mayfield. Jalen or not Jalen Hurts, sorry, Kyler Murray, all those, you know, Oklahoma quarterbacks I despise of. Yeah, but, no, you wonder. Oklahoma's but, highs and left and right. No, but uh, I mean, even go back, you know, Tim Tebow was a bit of a scrambler. You said RG3. Even Cam Newton. Forgot Cam Newton, yeah. Yep. But at the same time, even though RG3 was more of a scrambler, Andrew Luck was the first overall pick that year. Yep. So... I don't know exactly how it how it correlates. I mean, Baker Mayfield was also a little bit of a scrambler, and he he's he's you know done pretty well with 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 the land out there in Cleveland and the Browns. But 
I think in college, what makes it so difficult is that every week you can have a completely different opponent. Not to say that in, in the NFL, every opponent is similar, but in the NFL, you play every team in your division twice. Yep. In college, you don't. In college, there are non-conference games that typically are lopsided. In the NFL, there's not so much uneven teams. So I, I think that the dual threat quarterback in college can expose a lot of weaknesses in defenses. Yeah. Because they have the ability to run, to to pass, to use the play action, to force the defenses to commit to one of the two. Because if the defenses commit to stopping the pass, the quarterback can run. If they commit to putting someone else in the box to stop that, he can beat you with his arm. So that's what makes it so difficult. But I'm really glad that Talia is sliding. <laughs> that's the most oh. important thing, if you ask me. Oh, my God. Uh, we've, as you know, with Maryland and our quarterback injuries, the the one time that, you know, oh, I, mean, Maryland, I see him running, I just say slide to my TV screen oh, every man. time. He's screaming at the screen. I mean, Maryland has been through the mill in quarterbacks just in one season. Um, going quarterback after quarterback after quarterback. And it's just not – it's not even because of talent. It's injuries. And it's Correct. brutal. And it's absolutely brutal to uh, see. But long story short, Maryland and Ohio State will have to wait another two years. And both teams will be back out there next Saturday on November 21st. But from the field to the hardwood, George, you know, I know you and I are very excited about this. Recently, Maryland basketball, men's basketball, announced a trio of four-star signees to the class of 2021. And I know this is definitely going to help the team. And these three-star, excuse me, these three athletes, four-star recruits, forward Julian Reese, wing James Graham, and shooting guard Ike Cornish are all officially joining Coach Turgeon's team next season. Now, George with sticks. Jalen Smith and Anthony Cowan Jr. gone. How do you think this will really impact the team in a positive way and continue that positive trend and potentially, you know, no COVID, obviously. Let's let's pretend here for a minute we don't have a, you know, worldwide pandemic standing in the way. But what can get us back to a national title? Well, this is great, but they're not going to be here for this upcoming season. But sure. it's, it's really good for the future to know that we have three, four stars already signing on early signing day, which is really good for our program. This year, our recruiting class was smaller for the 2021 class. And we had a couple, you know, late transfers to make the class bigger, but the actual high school seniors, was we didn't get three of them. So how does this affect our national championship contention? Well. That's, that's really difficult because a lot of it we don't know yet because we don't know what the other teams are going to sign. We don't know. I mean, with one and dones, we don't know who's going to stay after this year. We don't know, not for Maryland, but for other teams too. We don't know what uh, bracket we'd get in to the, to the dance in March. But I can tell you how this can affect our Big Ten championship run, which is equally as important. What this is doing is that it's showing that our foundation is there because – Similar to this year in football, a lot of people predict this to be a rebuilding year in basketball. If Maryland basketball can 
do something similar to what we're doing in football here, which is playing smart, playing competitively, relying on their upperclassmen, relying on their coaches. This Maryland basketball team has a potential to cause some upsets. I know that no one on the Maryland basketball team surprisingly was, you know, a preseason all big 10, which surprised me personally, but again, we're bringing back the last year, big 10 sixth man of the year and Aaron Wiggins. Yep. We're bringing back Eric Ayala, who had a little bit of a dip, a little bit of a sophomore slump last year in comparison to his freshman year production. But we got a senior guy in Daryl Morsell who's been, been around this program now for four years. We've got Galen Smith, a senior graduate transfer, who played at Alabama in the SEC, another competitive Power Five conference, even for basketball. That might be better in football, but their basketball is nothing to joke about down right, there. Yeah. And we got Jarius Hamilton, who got his eligibility waived, and he'll be able to make an impact on this team coming in the, from the ACC. That was very big, yeah. That was so we, when that was announced. So we're getting good players to help with leadership. This is an older team, which is surprising to say in college basketball, because a lot of these guys, you know, coming at 18, they're done by 20. You know, and I think about that too, the juxtaposition between Maryland football and Maryland basketball, it's the complete opposite. I mean, Loxley is really building from the ground up with all these young kids and Mark Turgeon. I mean, he's getting them, you know, kind of half cooked already. I mean, they're all coming in, whether they're transferred, you know, or, you know, even, you know, coming out of high school, there's not, a, we don't, Maryland doesn't have a lot of those. That's why this seems to be such groundbreaking news. And I completely agree with you, George. I mean, it's not going to do anything this year. They've committed, which is exciting and fantastic for the future, but there's definitely a lot to uh, be intrigued about um, who's going to step up to the plate this year on the court and really lead the way to get to another big 10 title. Well, I, I'm really excited to see what this team can do. And, I know not everyone's returning. Sticks isn't going to be back, and Cowan's not going to be coming back. Travis Valman's not going to be coming back, and some of the others. But I got to imagine that some of these players might be playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder this year after they didn't get a chance to prove that they were the single best team in the Big Ten by winning the Big Ten tournament. They didn't get a chance to make a run in March. So it'll be interesting to see how the first couple games are and see if they're playing with a little bit more energy, a little bit more pep in their step. And I'm really excited to see them, you know, in Xfinity Center on TV later this month. Well, yeah, I mean, George, you mentioned that, you know, the theme around the motto, the theme around Maryland basketball right now is unfinished business. Uh, you know, I got to sit down with Daryl Marcel and, you know, he he straight out said, you know, you know, it was a shame. You know, we were hungry. COVID-19 took away our chance to compete for a national championship. You know, and he said, we're still hungry, though. We still have that unfinished business, and we're all excited to be a part of a winning program. And, you know, he referenced to, you know, it, there's a bit of a um, an unbalanced uh, dynamic in the sense of you got guys there that actually had to go through this last year um, and not get the chance to fight for a national title or make an Elite Eight Final Four appearance. And then you got some of the new guys that are coming in this year, but they're still hungry. They're all united as one. They all know that this game, unfortunately, in the climate we're living in right now, can be taken away from them at any moment because of COVID. But they're going to go out there and they're going to do what they've been doing since they were little kids, and that's play basketball and play basketball to the best of their ability. 
And George, something I want to ask you too, because I know like, I don't know if you say rumors, but I, I think like discussion over the past few years has been going around. Mark Turgeon is a phenomenal coach and I love the way he um, brings his guys together, the way he's able to not only coach them about basketball, but off the court um, things, especially, you know, with social injustice going on this year and how Maryland basketball has done such a great job in addressing that. But you know, George, do you think anyone, you know, out there is really, you know, questioning Mark Turgeon's job anymore after kind of the inconsistency of not really being able to lead Maryland to a Big Ten title or get deep into the NCAA March Madness tournament? Well, there are always doubters out there. And there are times when, you know, Maryland loses a close game and, you know, you jump onto any of the fan sites or Twitter or any social media, you know, it's everyone's always saying, you know, fire Turgeon, blah, 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 blah. But people have to realize that he was dealt a very difficult hand replacing Coach Williams after Coach Williams won Maryland's only men's national championship in 2002. I don't, I don't think you use the word replace. I don't know if re- you can replace. Well, he was his replacement. He was the next head coach. He was. I – you, you can't find another Gary Williams, but Mark Turgeon has sure done a heck of a job um, in, you know, building these guys. Because you're well, right. He was dealt, you know, the cards he was given, and he hasn't, and he hasn't quit. That's what I love about Turgeon. You know, he's, 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 he's ignored all the noise on social media, and he's been able to put that aside and look where they are. I mean, you got to, you know, as you know, the Philadelphia Sixers kind of coined this phrase, but you got to trust the process. Well, I think that the coach Turge now will be able to coach a lot more freely with having that Big Ten championship ring. And it's taken him a while to get that. And now that he has it, he can silence some of the doubters and say, you know what, I did do this. I got us to the top of the Big Ten. What more do you want? Well, we obviously want a national championship, but we could we might have gotten that last year. We just don't know, which which really stinks. And it's difficult and a tough pill to swallow. But Maryland basketball, you know, they're also in the process of getting that new basketball performance facility, which Coach Turge helped to convince, you know, athletic director Damon Evans and and with the boosters and whatnot, get that. Cause once we do get that, that'll not only help with practice scheduling times, but it'll also help in recruiting again. And the only way to build a program is through your next recruiting class. Cause if you don't get the talent, you're not going to win. So that'll definitely help. I mean, as you just said today, we signed, you know, the three, four stars. Great. Maybe if we get that basketball performance center can be a five-star and two four-stars. Who knows? I was about to say, you know, Maryland got the Cole Fieldhouse, UMD football. Let's get a basketball performance center up and, like, you know, just make this uh, program even better than it already is. I know. I mean, we got the five-star McDonald's All-American and Jalen Smith a couple years without the basketball performance facility, so we can still do it. It's just a little bit harder when we're one of the few Big Ten teams that doesn't have something like that. No, for but, sure. And but I, I, but I, it, can only, it can only make it better once we do get that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and it will also help the women's too. Oh, yeah, no. And, I mean, both programs, men's and women's, and we don't give women's enough credit as we should. They, I mean, Maryland is known for women's basketball. You're talking about a team that has pumped out a pipeline of WNBA superstars 
and Brenda Freeze, it's not even a discussion. If you wanted to discuss it with me, I would need to take a day, you know, to, <laughs> I would need to take a day, you know, eight, nine hours, set aside time to tell you why Brenda Freeze is a future Hall of Famer. Um, she's one of the best, arguably the best to ever coach uh, women's college basketball. But, you know, kind of a fun fact here that I forgot to mention, um, one of the recruits that Maryland is uh, bringing in, Julian Reese, who I just referenced, um, Reese, the, he is the brother of Maryland's women's basketball freshman, Angel Reese, and is the, who's the 82nd player in the class of 2021. So definitely something, you know, a little ties there for Julian Reese, which is fantastic. I love that he has a sister already in the Maryland basketball system. That is very exciting, and I look forward to seeing him along with the two others and Ike Cornish and James Graham come 2021. Now, George, as we progress and sort of close out the show here, hey, it's weird. It's a weird week, but, George, it's Masters week. It's weird to say that. There's no azaleas up. There's no spectators. I mean – it's weird. There's no, there's not even ropes. No one's behind the ropes. The media is just going wherever they want to go. But after day one, after some highlights you've seen, maybe you watch some of it live, some social media vids. I don't know. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, I'm really excited to be able to see Augusta National on TV in this format. It's, it's different. I was watching earlier today and well, you're right. There were no azaleas. There were no fans. There were no giant galleries following a surging Tiger Woods, all weird things. I also, it was also weird. I saw the highlight of Jack Nicholas and Gary Player hitting the ceremonial tee shots. And yeah. it was very odd seeing everyone there with masks behind them. And not normally you got like a crowd from the tee all the way down to the middle of the fairway, right before those bunkers, those two bunkers mm-hmm. on the right, nothing empty. Nope. No ovation. I guess that's what it looks like if you play Augusta National as a regular person. So I guess it's kind of cool to see it like that. But I kind of do miss the giant galleries and the roars to be able to hear on – even when we're watching it, you know, when they're on, you know, hole 13. And then, you know, you hear the, the roar when someone sticks it close on 12. I miss it. But, I, I mean, there's also the uh, rain and lightning delay today. So I'm excited to watch my favorite player. Rory McIlroy chased down his first green jacket. So I'm excited to see that. I've, I have had the privilege of seeing him live. I remember the first time I saw him was 2011, the U S open. He demolished the field. It was insane. Made it look easy for a young kid. He made it look really easy. And it was great too. Cause that was the next tournament after he suffered his, back nine collapse at Augusta national. That's correct. So I I'm partial to him. I, I'm really rooting for him, but the other storyline is to see what does Bryson DeChambeau do? I saw he was a little bit aggressive on 13 today. He was, and you know, he's five back of the leader right now, Paul Casey at two under. Um, and he is a heavy favorite uh, around the world to win this tournament. And that, I mean, you know, I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse, but that's because he, he hits bombs. The guy can take a lot of ball flights that a lot of golfers in this field cannot. So he's definitely going to take advantage of the no spectators being able to aim and, you know, place uh, 
you know, shots in different areas than he normally would. And just in general, he can, he can outdrive most guys in that field this week. So it's, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. And let's not forget about the defending champion, Mr. Tiger Woods. Uh, he came out today and shot his career low in the first round at the Masters. He shot four under today. He's three back of Paul Casey. Um, other notable names, Patrick Reed is also at four under. Justin Thomas is at four under. John Rahm and Tony Finau sit at three under. Ricky Fowler, Dustin Johnson sit at three under. As I mentioned, Bryson DeChambeau is at two under with guys like Jason Day and Justin Rose. But Phil Mickelson didn't have the greatest day. He's still out on the course, so he will resume his first round tomorrow. But he was able to get through 10 holes at one under. So he's still out there. He's got a whole back nine to go on the uh, first round. So we'll see what he does. But George, after, I guess you could say a day and a half, so we still got three and a half rounds to go, weirdly enough. Who do you like? Who do you like? I know you and I talked a little bit. Paul Casey, we just don't think he's got the, the grit to hold it on for another three and a half days, especially with all the talent in the field, all the youth, all the experience. But I don't know. Paul Casey's part of that experience. He's, he's done this before. He's been in the PGA quite some time, but can and will he win a green jacket? That's tough. I mean, he's done well at some difficult courses. He's won, you know, the Valspar Championship down at the Copperhead course at Innisbrook. A couple times, I believe he was a back-to-back champion there. And, you know, that's – they have the snake pit there, which, which gets a lot of people. So he's won at tough courses, but Augusta National is just a different type of tough course. It's not that, you know, there's so much water hazards and – and tough carries like it somewhere like a TPC Sawgrass with, you know, their famous 17th. It's not that there's a crazy amount of wind, like it's a British open championship. It's not a super long course for these players. Like, you know, I try to think of what one of the longest courses when they played at Aaron Hills, that was a very long course oh, that's for the Aaron US Hill. Open. It's brutal. It's nothing like that. It's a completely different course. I've never had the privilege of actually going down to Augusta and seeing the Masters yet. I'd love to do that. It's on the bucket list. But from what I know of people that have been down there, and even um, a mentor of mine that was able to play the course, the undulations down there are so minute that that a lot of people can't see it. And the slope and elevation changes is so massive that the TV doesn't do it justice. So well, we can't see that. Incredible, what's incredible about Augusta is it gives you the best of everything in golf. Um, the greens are absolutely pure. They run smooth. They run fast. I think being in November, that will be a little different. I think conditions are going to be a little softer, especially after the rain today. Um, you've got multiple holes that definitely challenge the players in terms of distance. Um, Amen Corner is one of the most signature signature stretch of holes in all of golf, and you know, like the Bear Trap. You know, there's many many of those, but Amen Corner has to be up top. Um, and the par three, some of the most iconic par threes at Augusta National. And another thing about Augusta National that you know, at least I love to see. Not a lot of people like this type of golf, but the par fives are very very gettable. They're very open for the players to make birdie and eagles, which makes it tight on the field. So I completely agree with you, George, um, with what you were saying. What we see at home doesn't do it justice in what it is in person. 
it's completely different. Obviously, you know, it's entertaining either way, you know, just like you, Augusta national is a bucket list for me. I hope to get there one day playing it obviously would be a dream come true, but just to get to watch the pros and the masters would be just as good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I gotta be honest with you. I don't see Paul Casey winning the masters. I really don't. There are some names that I read off to all of you, um, just now, just a moment ago, uh, like Bryson DeChambeau, like John Rahm, um, Justin Rose, Tiger Woods. I wouldn't be surprised if some of these guys, Justin Thomas is a four under, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these guys, even tomorrow, just explode on the field and shoot four or five under par, um, make this really tough on Paul Casey. And he knows that he's experienced. He's been in this position before. He knows, you know, one day you can't just do well for one day. If you want to win a tournament like the Masters, you're going to have to come out and you're going to have to play like he did today all four days to win. So it's going to be interesting. Definitely going to be interesting. But the it's it's a tradition like no other. Well plays, my friend. It's a tradition like no other. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in to this edition of Turbulence. But before we go, George, you still have one team that you did not get. Now, folks, if you don't remember the trivia question at the very beginning of the episode, Maryland has beaten nine Big Ten opponents since their Big Ten debut in football we're speaking about here back in 2014. And I asked George, what teams have they not beaten? George was able to name three out of the four. He named Ohio State, Northwestern, and Wisconsin. However, he guessed Iowa. That is incorrect. So he is missing one team. George, can you name that team? I do. My final answer, I was thinking about this throughout the show. I know they're in the West, and I was thinking, you know what? Who is the only other team in the West that I don't remember us beating? And that's Nebraska Cornhuskers. The Nebraska Cornhuskers is the correct answer. There we go. Those are the four teams that the Maryland Terrapins have not beaten in their six years thus far in the Big Ten. And I know we were excited about Saturday to get the opportunity to knock one of those teams off in Ohio State. That will have to wait another two years. Um, Maryland already lost big, obviously, this year to Northwestern. And they do not play Wisconsin nor Nebraska this year. So that will have to wait. So, folks, once again, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Turbulence. I am Jack White, alongside my partner in crime, George Shalloway. Be sure to tune in next week. We are excited to get back at it next Thursday to talk more Terps with you. For Jack White and George Shalloway here on WMUC Sports.